0: Dear broadies, before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion in the United States. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions in this country. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans and people who live in America. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. You can find a list of where to donate in each state at donationsforabortion.com. That's donations, the number four, I have personally started donating to states where trigger laws go into effect immediately. Remember, even if you can only spend $1 or $5, that helps. There are things we can do to fight this, and it is going to take continued focus and community support. So I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. So
1: I basically just owned it. I was like, look in the world all the stuff that i've been through if it doesn't have a title or a degree it's not seen as powerful or like legitimate in any sense but all of my home experiences and everything outside of the classroom and outside of the workspace is what really shaped what i wanted to do
0: hello everybody and welcome to the pod broads this is a podcast about women in podcasting and i'm your host alexandra cole Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the pod broads. This has once again, been another week where burnout has kind of won a little bit. And I know I wasn't alone in it because I was sharing about how burnt out I was, and how you know, your body just forces you to rest when you don't take the time to rest. And a lot of people were commenting how similar they felt, especially recently. And I think it's also gotten me into situation of, you know, questioning my career path or my choices or things like that. And it kind of fits perfectly into my guest today and the conversation that we have. But especially with this quote of hers that I wrote down over a year ago now and shared on Podulance Instagram page. And the quote in question is, you got to trust a reroute. So, today I'm talking to Isabeth Mendoza. She is someone that I first heard about actually through Gabrielle Horton, who was on last week's episode, and TK Dutez. When they did a presentation together at Work It, they had quoted Isabeth with this particular quote. And obviously, I wrote that down in my notebook right away. And if you know me from my platform, You know, already know I love quotes. But even before that, like when I was growing up, I would keep a quote book to save all the ones that either stuck with me or made me think or were just really good to reference time and again. And so this is one of those quotes for me. I... In that moment, read it at a time when I was shifting careers big time, I had been teaching for so long, but knew that I wanted to get into podcasting any way that I could. And when I attended Work It, it was the first time I had really put money toward that goal and also was still in a major moment of figuring it out and figuring out what I was going to do and how I was going to make it work. That was exciting, but it was also scary. So when I saw that quote from Issa, it was just at the perfect time. And I know it's something a lot of us need to hear because that is ever happening through our life. Cause there's always going to be changes that are sometimes unsettling at first and the purpose might not be so clear. And honestly, this last week has been a week where I've needed that reminder, that reminder to trust the reroute that my life is taking and that I'm actively making changes toward. So if you've listened to the last two episodes, you'd have heard that this one with Issa was in motion from the start of my recording. And I knew from that first quote that she was someone I was going to want to feature and support in whatever way I could. So, Issa and I recorded this episode in July of 2020, the last of the batch that I recorded in the wake of the Black Lives Matter protests and the still very fresh news of COVID and how it was impacting people economically, mentally, um, etc., how overwhelmed the hospitals were and all the other ongoing shit we were dealing with with the Trump administration. And that's especially important to mention because in part of our conversation, we talk specifically about mental health in relation to all of these factors actors playing together at once. And toward the end of our conversation, we really get into our respective positions as people doing work in social media, and how that can take a toll on our mental state, how we are able to protect or set boundaries, especially when we need to be on social media for our work and what we do when it is something unavoidable to see videos of police officers or other white people harming black people when said video has gone viral. So how do we handle that? And Isa gives great tips and insight into not only how anxiety or depression could be manifesting in you and your body, but also how that might look different during COVID than what you're used to. And I know as someone who knows a lot about anxiety, something she had to say really surprised me and made me rethink what might be going on with my physiological state. So you'll definitely want to stick around for that section. And much of the start of our conversation really dives deep into her journey from studying public health to how she got into journalism and podcasting quite quickly and resourcefully and the work that she was doing as engagement producer at Truth Be Told. I also got to ask her about one of my favorite episodes of Truth Be Told called Deportation Wounds, where she speaks with her father who has been deported and we get into how she handled it both during the interview, after the interview, and in the production of this particular piece. I do want to say at the release of this episode, she is now the engagement producer for KQED Podcasts at Large, which is super exciting. And I'm not going to keep you any longer from this awesome chat with Issa. Enjoy. Hello, Isabella. Thank you for joining. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Um, so how how have you been in the midst of everything that's going on right now in our country?
1: Yeah, it's definitely been, um, I don't know, every, every week is just a new, it's just like a roller coaster of emotions for sure. Um, I am based out of the Bay right now because of work, um, but I'm originally from Los Angeles and I moved about a month before COVID hit. Um, And then right now where I'm doing the interview, I'm in Winters, which is a little um, neighborhood next to Davis. I'm visiting my Godson and his family. So I'm going to be working remote here for a while. Um, But I realized before coming over here, I was just not in the best like mental health state. And I've been in therapy since the beginning of COVID, which has been super helpful. Um, But I really think that the pandemic and just seeing the racism through that, type of the healthcare system and then it just kind of really unraveling in front of our eyes in terms of society and all the other systems that I think really got me. So Mm -hmm. um, having my Godson's family here so close, I felt it was going to be just a good break for my mental health, um, but also being able to be in family, which I haven't been a part of, you know, since COVID hit. So um, it's been a lot better since, but definitely just like ups and downs. How about you?
0: Yeah, about the same. I also, in terms of mental health, like, have very intense anxiety and I go through, like, depression and oftentimes related to, like, PTSD stuff I deal with. And so I'm already a hypochondriac. And so when this all started, I was pretty flipped out. Um, And then when everything kind of started with the protests and um, stuff with Black Lives Matter, like, that was kind of something me and my partner went through because he like really wanted to go out and protest and of course i wanted to support him with that but it was just like it was just all this very like scary stuff and what ifs and i was afraid for his safety and um you know whether he would be targeted so right yeah it was a lot but i'm we're doing a bit better now um in terms of just like the mental stuff um and i think like taking moments to take care of yeah. that and like make sure we're we're not letting that fall to the wayside I haven't been in therapy for the past few weeks though because of like money um so but that's I'm I'm always glad to hear when people are able to like stick with it especially right now but I mm-hmm. am taking like a little break financially just cause yeah it's, it's very it's real. Not feasible yeah yeah um uh, I always get ahead of myself but why don't we just Real quick, uh, give a little intro for our listeners of just kind of like who you are, like separate from your work, because I know we're going to talk a lot about your work, but I also don't just want it to be about that. And then let us know kind of what you're currently doing and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that. I don't have to include my professional life into my intro. Um, Yeah. So, um, well, my name is Isabel Mendoza, pronouns she, her. Um, Like I mentioned, I am... I was born and raised in Southeast Los Angeles, and I uh, did not want to go into journalism. Um, Actually, I felt um, I wanted to go into the health field, and I actually got my master's in public health from Emory, and it was during my master's program that I was just really frustrated with academia and the trajectory of research and how long it would take to actually make an impact. And so um, I thought, like, well, who tell stories and is able to get them out in you know pretty quick time. And it does make an impact in the greater world. So I was like, oh, journalists do that. And so um, I started writing for the newspaper with undergrads. Um, I learned a lot there and then went to as many events as I could. And somebody um, at this networking fair said that writing for radio is the hardest type of writing. And so I said, OK, cool. I'll start there. And then if it doesn't work out, I'll just I'll end up in print. Like I just had a feeling that's where I was going to be. And then I loved it so much because it it was pretty much, you know, the accessibility is what I wanted. I wanted people to hear different accents in their languages to hear it in the airwaves or um, on demand. And I was able to find that in audio. And so I, I didn't leave after that. i kind of been there ever since. Um, and so I think a lot of my growing up in my community and where I'm from has definitely informed that kind of being a huge part of the values that I want to see represented also in my professional life and not just like let go of that because it's work and this is the industry and that's the business. Um, So I'm pretty grateful now, even with COVID and everything that I'm with my public health background, I'm able to understand a lot of things and see these things, but I'm in a whole new industry and I feel very new and like, I'm still learning all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I, I, you know, most of my family is in LA. I do have family in Mexico still, Um, So I always feel like my family is just all over the place and my home is in many different places and in people. Um, So that has also informed when I think about stories and identity and belonging, um, in addition to just public health, because I believe that is everywhere and in everything. Um, Those Mm -hmm. are kind of the things that have always been at my core.
0: I love that. I love that also, especially... You were told that writing for audio is the most difficult thing. And you were like, yeah, let's start there. That's that's Yeah, because I was like... It's amazing.
1: I was like, well, if I don't like it, then I'll just keep it moving and it'll be easy. Like, I'll just cross it off my list, you know, like, because I didn't know where to start. And so I was just going to everything and absorbing everything and taking in people's advice. And then I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, cool. Let me make this little checklist. And then it didn't get very far, which is great. You know, (laughs) it was meant to be that way, I think.
0: Like, were you doing a lot of writing prior to that? Or like, did you identify as a writer? Or was that something that really developed when you were in your master's program?
1: Mm. I was always really hesitant to identify as a writer. Because I always thought, you know, you had to have at least a blog, you know, like something out there. I think the thing is, like, I would write, but I wouldn't share it. And so if I wasn't able to share it, I was like, well, how am I claiming that I'm a writer? But I was really putting the focus there on other people's validation about that title. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I do. I love the reason why I love to write is because I loved reading when I was growing up. And Mm -hmm. I think I was always afraid to share it with other people. And so. I wouldn't write academically either. I would just do it if I needed to for school or anything like that. Uh, But during my master's, I really saw both of those coming together. And I was like, okay, it's time to go tell stories. And so it just didn't feel like academia was the place at that time for me. So I went to journalism.
0: Okay. And so I kind of want to talk specific timeline in there because I know that you – you did a few NPR stuff, like you did the Next Generation Radio, which I'm not really sure what that is. So I'd love to hear what that's about. And then you also were, it was a National Desk intern, right? For NPR, Yeah, correct? that's right. So can you, can you kind of break down a little bit of, so you have this realization, you have this conversation, you're like, okay, writing for audio, this is what I'm going to do. So from that point to like the internship Mm. part and and or next generation radio, whichever mm-hmm. came first. Um kind of how you got from point A to point B and what that time span was.
1: Yeah. So um okay, time span. I made this decision the first summer in my graduate program because we have to do a what's called a practicum. You can um, pick whatever study you want to do. You go do some research on it and that's part of like your graduate requirement. So I did mine in Mexico City and I, I was um doing interviews at, I think it's now, there's two, but at the time there was the only trans health clinic that was in the country. And so I went to go do interviews there. And when I was just interviewing folks, you know, I couldn't really ask different questions if they weren't already pre-approved by the Institutional Review Board, which is IRB. And so I had to submit that months in advance. And I was, you know, people were pouring their hearts out and giving me all their stories. And I just felt like it was an injustice to just reduce it to a data point point. and I also couldn't go necessarily off those questions because they weren't already reviewed um, and so I just really conflicted with that so when I came back I was like what exists that allows me to learn about journalism and how to ask questions and how to tell stories and so I was in Atlanta and I interned at the NPR member station over there uh, GPB Georgia Public Broadcast and I was interning for All Things Considered and they told me like hey there's this program called um next generation and you should apply for it and i was like okay well i have like this semester and that's it like i'm moving back to california after this so if it doesn't fit in then i'm gonna have to catch it out of the later time but it was literally the week between finals and graduation and so i was like cool i'll do it i'm like this is a sign i'm gonna do it um so it's a one week boot camp where we are paired with the mentor And there's a theme usually for the week, um, and there's like, maybe there was like six of us, six participants, and we went out into the city and started collecting our audio, developed our questions. We had this mentor with us the entire time, taught us how to use all of our field kit. We were also getting uh, pictures, and we were also writing. So we had, you know, specialists in the room who were all people of color helping us get our stories out in one week. And... After that, you know, I was like, yeah, I could do this every day. I would love to do this every day. And so that's kind of what solidified my decision. Um, But I was still moving back to L.A. So it's kind of like all the networks that I had in health and the little ones that I had in journalism were all in Atlanta. And so Mm -hmm. when I moved back, it was really tough to just start from, you know, I had high school friends and all of that. But I didn't really have any college connects, nothing like that. But the mentors from that program, I let them know I was moving back and they were super instrumental in letting me know what was available. I applied to the NPR internship for the summer. I didn't get it, um, which honestly is a blessing in disguise because I moved back to take care of my grandma who was sick. And so I was Hmm. able to spend all of that summer with her and taking care of her and also experiencing what it was to be a millennial caregiver. Yeah. There was a lot of women of color of my friend group that were moving back home to take care of our family members. And so that was actually one of the stories I did as an NPR intern when I got back. So that fall, I was like, cool, let's, let's apply again. I'm going to keep applying until I get into NPR. And mm-hmm. I wanted to stay in L.A. And so they have a, a small office there. And so I applied for the National Desk internship. And I got it. And I was super excited and, you know, kind of scared because I was like, oh, National Desk, National News. I'm like, Ugh, I don't know. This is like my first time doing, you know, it felt like it was my first time doing anything like that. Yeah. Um, but I honestly, I was the only intern there, but it, I just had the best time. Like everybody went out of their way to make sure I was okay, introduce themselves, make sure I wasn't being overwhelmed. Um, or if I, you know, didn't have enough to do, they can pull me in to shadow them. It was just the most amazing experience that I've ever had. And I don't know what it's like to intern at headquarters in DC, but at least in Mm -hmm. LA, I I loved it. And I always talk about it in a positive manner. Cause exactly what I experienced.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Um so I love hearing that you applied, didn't get in, and then you reapplied and it's it's very much of of the time right now cuz <laughs> you know there's a bunch of NPR internships that are right currently now looking through cover letters and I wonder if you remember kind of like what what do you feel like the difference was for you when you were applying and kind of ha- like what you applied with if you can remember yeah. back to to that point and what you could kind of I guess differentiate for anyone who's listening who is either in the same boat or moving into that situation. I think they they tell you to have your cover letter tell the story, a story of you.
1: And I just felt like I man, I can tell you all the stories, but none of it really relates to journalism because I just got this new interest. I didn't even go to I didn't go to J school. I don't have all these internships under me. I don't even know how to use the equipment necessarily. I used it for one week. (laughs) I'm like, and that's kind of it. Um, Yeah. So I basically just owned it. I was like, look, in the world, all the stuff that I've been through, if it doesn't have a title or a degree, it's not seen as powerful or like legitimate in any sense. But all of my home experiences and everything outside of the classroom and outside of the workspace is what really shaped what I wanted to do. And so I literally compared caregiving to writing a story as a journalist and Mm -hmm. highlighted all of the skills that I learned as a caregiver. So I had to navigate so many people, you know, my family, all the doctors, my grandma's specialists. I had to be um, making sure that I had her agenda set that and I had to be flexible because things would obviously not go the way you planned it. Um, Yeah. And so I had also deal with like health insurance and like all of the things that I didn't think would translate to journalism necessarily Um, I just made the connections because I'm like, it does. It's kind of like also like affirming myself, like Isa, you still can do this and you should still apply. And you have every type of skill that is needed to be a journalist just because you don't have those titles, that doesn't mean you can't. So I think it's like all the things that you, you can make a list of all the reasons why you're not fit, flip it on its head. That's your cover letter, Mm -hmm. honestly. Like those are all the reasons why you should be in there.
0: That's awesome. I was just seeing like posts, um, like a whole Twitter thread about cover letters. Yeah. And it's so confusing. But I think that that's such a great point. Like just in terms of grounding yourself, because it's very intimidating. Yeah, um, and ev- everyone is who's reading them are also like looking for different things. Yeah. Um, but that feels like a pretty universal. Yeah. Way of approaching it. So, you did the internship, and then I know that you moved into freelance territory. I did. Um, there were a couple, was that, um, was that something that came directly after the internship or? Yeah,
1: it did right after. I didn't want to leave LA. So that's why I decided to freelance in LA because I had the, I was at home, I was with my family. So it Mm -hmm. was like the best case scenario financially. So I was like, if I don't do it now, I don't think I'm ever going to do it anywhere else. So I did that for a year.
0: So I just want to make sure I have the times right, because we are, well, we're recording this July 2020, but is this, so I know you, I I read your Medium post of like, no to job, yes to peace of mind, which I do want to touch on briefly, Um, but that was, I believe, like April 2019. So does that, so was the, I just want to make sure I have the times, right? So internship was fall 2018, Yes, yes. And then, so after you finish that, then that, then. Okay, so it really hasn't been that much time.
1: No, not at all. 2019 was a freelance year.
0: Um, yeah, tell, tell me about that. <laughs> I was so
1: nervous. Yeah, dude, I read so many blogs, articles, how to freelance, what not to do, how to prepare, all these things. And I just go down rabbit holes. And at that time, I was honestly like one foot in the door, one foot out. I was like, okay, I'm down to freelance. But I was, you know, low key not. I was, you know, mm-hmm. applying to other yep. stuff for full time. <laughs> yes. So yep. I was like, let me just, why not apply? But so I realized I needed to really do it with both feet in. And at the end of it, you know, to, to like fast forward, I didn't like it. And I said, this isn't me failing. This is me realizing this isn't for me. And that's completely fine. But I refused mm-hmm. to like really admit to myself that I was not happy. I was not having fun, Um and it's just, it wasn't what I imagined it to be, which is great. That's fine. Like it's a great learning experience. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, because I wasn't happy, I was like, I don't need to be here. So let yeah. me switch gears. So I learned a lot, met a lot of great people. It really had a hustle every single day. And I think all of the lessons that I got, I still use today. But it was emotionally taxing, mentally taxing. And because I don't have, you know, a family making money, I also had mm-hmm. to contribute to just basic stuff. I was on food stamps and I, and so yeah. like it messed with my head low key about like, all right, I'm a recent grad from Emory. I have a master's. I'm on food stamps, living at home, trying to be a journalist and I'm freelancing. And I see all these people I hear thriving as freelancing. <laughs> Clearly, you know, this isn't, you know, we have capitalism here working. So right. I was, I was just like, all right, I'm going to do my absolute best. And after a couple of months in, um, I kind of made the decision, okay, I'm giving myself because of my savings as well. At the end of the year, I got to make a decision. Um, okay. So throughout that year, I was a part of the International Women's Media Fund, um, Gwen Eiffel Mentorship. So I had people who I was talking to that were other freelancers that were really motivating. I had a mentor for that program. Um, I was freelancing on Here to Slay. And then I did, I helped uh, KCRW's bodies and then towards the end of it, of that year, I was also working with um, Feeling My Flow, the podcast. So okay, I feel like I don't have this huge long list of like, oh, you know, for each month I had four stories or two stories or any of that. It was, it didn't feel like it was living up to my high expectations and what I also saw people like post and write about. Um, but. You know, it was enough for me to maintain myself in the industry and make sure that this is still what I wanted, but on my own terms. And it's ironic because mm-hmm. even as a freelancer, I couldn't do that. Yeah. Um. So it was, you know, when I wrote that article, man, I remember when that I haven't read it since I think I wrote it now that you brought it up. Um, <laughs> at that time, this whole the college campuses with the parents were buying out um, their like acceptance For like USC and a lot of other schools. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the college admission Mm -hmm. scandal. Um, That was happening right when I got that no. Well, that I said no to the yes, because it was it was not just an equitable opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I'm just I literally just I was like, man, honestly, if I had if I had more money, I would be a journalist in half the time it's going to take me. I would be able to move to New York. Everyone was telling me you have to go to New York um la hasn't been built yet out for podcasts and all of that and i was like how the hell am i gonna go move to new york like i am not gonna be able to survive and i was just tired of surviving i was so tired of surviving i felt the exhaustion when i made that Mm -hmm. realization i was like you know what i'm just gonna i'm not gonna do it and it's not gonna be ideal but if i need some form of stability for some time that i just can't i can't just throw myself at every little scrap And also like stop accepting scraps, (laughs) you know, like, so it was, it was a tough year, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it again, but I'm very grateful for it.
0: Okay. And so it was for the whole year. Like it was like that, I guess, January Mm -hmm. or so until the following. Um, I appreciate that you mentioned the, the part about your savings. That was something I was going to ask about, like if you were comfortable sharing, like where you actually kind of were with that. Cause I think Something that does a disservice to these conversations is when people talk about freelancing, but they're not like, mm. Oh, I had like this much savings to kind of last me this much time yeah. or um like if you're paying like full rent or what kind of rent you're paying because you know, depending on where you are, yeah. yeah, let
1: me be fully transparent with that. um yeah. so the only reason why I could internet NPR in l a was because I lived there. my family lives there, and so they were really gracious in um. Right before that, I was trying to work and take care of my grandma and I could not. I had to um let go of that job. And so I went full time taking care of my grandma. And when I got this internship, it was on the west side of LA and just crossing east to west LA it was at least 50 minutes in the morning. And um I could take the train there. I could take the bus and the train, but when I get to the west side of LA, the public transpir- transportation gets really tough. I would have The buses wouldn't come on time. I'd have to walk hella far. So I was like, I mm-hmm. have to drive. So yeah. the only car we had was a V6 engine. So that's like maybe, f- it was horrible. Horrible gas, <laughs> horrible, <laughs> not a hybrid, nothing. So I was really like just paying for gas. Okay. And so my, uh, my family at the time were like, just cover yourself and your needs. Like, don't worry about rent and i was super grateful for that and that was fall when i went to freelancing the financial situation did not get better so um <laughs> the little gigs that i had i would i would save as much as i can and i had how much did i have let's see um honestly maybe like it had a, it was less than 10 grand i think it was maybe like 6000 Mm-hmm. And that was all. Uh, I would ask. I would include also like my mileage and my gas for all these gigs and everything. Um, yeah. I would also like take the bus as much as I could, take the train as much as I could for anything that I that I could just go around instead of having to pay for gas. Mm-hmm. The food stamps covered me. I got I want to say 190. I want to say every two weeks. Ugh. It it depends per person. It, you have to talk about in the application um, who lives in the house, if you prepare your food okay. together, if you don't. This is also California, by the way. So this is Cal yeah, Fresh. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how it is in other states, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But that, that covered my food. So then the next was gas. And my family was very nice about not charging me rent. But I told them, like, this is my timeline. Once this is up, I'm going back to a full time. If that full time is public health, I'm going to go back. If the full-time is journalism, I'm going to go back. But like this is not going to be forever. Um yeah. and I also like yeah, depleting my savings just made me so nervous. Um because I also didn't I have you. <laughs> I didn't have a 401k. I didn't have an IRA. I had nothing. I was just a recent grad and I had debt that was about to kick in. So, um my one-year timeline was my max. And so I would say if you know, there's a lot of social services out there that will really help. But, you know, I think there's a lot of stigma around it. We also have a lot mm-hmm. of food pantries around where I live. So, like, my family uses that whenever we really needed it. Um, yeah. And I didn't have a social life. I didn't really go out. I would go to friend's house. Um, I wasn't going to the clubs, buying drinks, you know, <laughs> traveling. None of that. I wasn't. Um, it was just work and trying to use as little as gas as possible was that for my life. And like trying to get my name out, trying to, every mm-hmm. conference that I went to, I applied for the scholarships, including the airlines and all of that. Um, yeah, it was kind of a, a very frugal year.
0: Hey friends, just a brief pause from this conversation so I can tell you about The Wave podcasting. The Wave is a company that helps women grow their podcasts so they can build an audience and get paid. They offer educational resources and a digital community of which I am a part of and have gotten to meet some pretty dope women and get some great tips along the way. Plus, the founder Lauren Popish is a huge reason I've been able to start this podcast. She helped me find the perfect recording equipment for my setup and just get really comfortable with jumping in for the first time. And here's what's cool. They have a free mini guide that will help you kickstart your podcast growth strategy that you can download today by going to the show notes to find the link to their website. And when you're ready, you can purchase the complete guide to podcasting and use my code PODRALAND, P-O-D, P O D dot D R A L A N D ten to get ten percent off the total cost. So, ladies, come podcast. So, you did the year, um, and you realized it wasn't really your jam, which <laughs> I love that realization, um, because I don't know, it it is it is hard. To kind of jump all in, and I, I totally feel you on that because I feel like when you were like, I was still applying to full-time jobs and I was like this is this is me right now. Yeah. I, I get it. Um, and after that year was up, is that when you started working at Truth be told, or mm. was there still some space in between that or like when did you I guess when did you start applying or did you get that through a connection? like what was the process there?
1: Yeah, the the fall conferences. So for audio, a lot of stuff kicks in in the fall. And that's where I decided, okay, I'm going to revamp my resume. That's what I'm going to go and interview for a full time position to start January. And so I went to Third Coast for the first time. And who was there? Well, a lot of people are there, actually. (laughs) And so I met the person who worked at KQED, who interviewed me for the position at Third Coast. That's what oh, I meant cool. to cool. And so okay. um, I introduced myself. I think I had seen the opening a week before and I caught her name. And so she was kind of co-presenting at this session. And so I introduced myself and she was like, oh, I don't know. You were applying like, yeah, let's let's talk. And so we talked over dinner, which actually was low key. The interview. Um, oh. So I think when you go to these conferences, go ready to be interviewed on the spot. Um, mm-hmm. But it, I think it's the best place because you its always, it was felt so casual. It really did. And so that was kind of like the first phase of the interview. And then I, I had follow up phone call interviews after that. While I was still going to other conferences, I was in between like, I was not taking lunches at that point, because I was just getting interviewed during lunches of the conferences and stuff. And by December is when I had the final round and I got the offer. So that was full time in engagement producing, which is Mm. less tape cutting, more of the social media part that I hadn't done just yet, and also live events. And so I was excited for all of that stuff, but I was also very honest of like what my expertise was. Um, Uh But I, you know, I came ready for the final interviews with like, these are all of my ideas. These are all my proposals is how I would do it. Um, and so I'm like, I might not know how to do it, but I would absolutely figure that out. So these are my yeah. ideas with what I know now. Um, and so that position started in January. And because I was in L.A., uh, the show is produced out of San Francisco. So they let me work for about a month at home. And then I fully moved up in February. Okay. Oh, Wow.
0: That's awesome. Um, okay, I have two questions based on what you just told me. So I guess I'll I'll first start with, um, so you did Third Coast. And then mm-hmm. we both, well, we didn't get connected technically at Work It, but kind of, kind of, since I like social media stalked you after I saw some quotes <laughs> I loved that you said. Um, but for those who are listening who don't know, Work It is a festival specifically for women in podcasting. Um, I think they also encompass non-binary folks in that mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I guess I, I am curious since you've been to, it sounds like a good number of other ones. Like how would, how do you compare them? Like if someone had to choose between going to one, which would you Mm. choose?
1: Yeah, that is a good question. Um, third coast, I was told, a little bit before, but I didn't really understand what it meant was that you go more for networking. So there's so many sessions happening, but there's a ton of people outside just talking, not okay. in the sessions. So the reason being is that historically they have also recorded all the sessions so you can go back and listen to them. So mm-hmm. you're kind of there more to meet people um, okay. with work. It. I don't know. I'm the type of person that wants to sit in the sessions. I want to ask the questions. I want to take all the notes. yeah And also, an- another thing that I went that year doing was I'm going to live tweet all the sessions because there's so many people who can't afford to go that yeah. all of this information, I can just tweet it out. And people who can't afford it, never heard of it, are like, oh, what is audio? Oh, you're there? Like, what? You know, like it's just, it's sharing the wealth of knowledge. It does not have to be this elite space that took us so long to get into and cost so much money to get into so that's kind of what I was doing with every single conference um okay and so I would say I don't know this might sound weird but like what whatever the I know you like you might want to go to get a job you might want to go to meet people but for me it was like the vibe was so different from every single one that mm-hmm. I would say work it felt the most fun at the time yeah and because you could feel how inclusive they were also really trying to be. I saw a like um, Locatora Radio was there. They hosted a workshop. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, like the wherever you're hosting these conferences, you need to have the indie creators there as well, representing and sharing that their point of view. So I saw I saw efforts in that. Um and so I think that's why it was a lot more memorable just looking around and being so different from the newsrooms that I, I was a part of or the internships I was a part of. Um Third Coast felt more a little bit about like the reality of the industry was going to be. And of course they, they have aspirations to make it of course more inclusive and all of that too. But the vibe was just so different for me. Yeah. Also LA is my home. So maybe that's why I was excited. You know, I don't know. (laughs) It could have been, I'm very biased to that. So it might, it might've been that, but it's like, what are your intentions? Um, don't, don't let money be the reason why you're not going to apply. Email them directly, ask them what scholarships they have. What can you do for work It. I volunteered, as their social media person for wnyc oh. and so i was able to do the behind the scenes stuff and get my ticket covered in that sense so you can ask great. them i'm happy to volunteer i'm happy to apply you know write an essay do something um just ask them don't let because they are expensive you know just ask what you can do yeah. based on what your intentions are to give whatever you want to get out of the
0: conference yeah i think that's great um that makes a lot of sense Okay. So now I want to jump a little bit into engagement producer stuff. Um, And you mentioned kind of the three major things that you do in that position. And so can we start with, if you could kind of run it down either like day to day or like week by week, I know Mm -hmm. this is, it totally varies for everyone, but I do think in the work that we do, there is a way that we can kind of like parse out, like, okay, right. these are kind of the major things that I do focus on and that I expend my time towards. Because I think for a lot of people who are just entering the industry, yeah. it's very mysterious. Like, right what are people actually doing when yeah. they are under this title? Um, so any any insight for that would be great.
1: There's so many facets of podcasting that I've been asked, like, how do you put the podcast together? Like, who who is literally doing that? And that's such a legit question. So I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I can totally break it down. Um, so our show is a little bit different because uh, Truth Be Told is an advice show by and for POC. And every episode is run by listener questions. So part of my job is to get those listener questions. So I'm managing the portals that we have, not just social media. Uh, we also have a voicemail. Um, so I'm making sure that I'm seeing all of that daily. I'm also reading our Apple reviews daily. And I am checking what is kind of happening on the internet daily. So it would be uh, mostly Twitter more so than Instagram. Um, Mm -hmm. But making sure I have those two. We're not on Facebook, so I don't have to necessarily worry about that. Um, And so I'm looking at kind of what are the conversations that are happening. Um, Meanwhile, we have, you know, probably an episode in production. So it's a team of two of us i'm the engagement producer and then Susie Rocho is the senior uh, producer and editor so she's deep into the tape making edits she's like okay here's a new version let me know what your feedback is i go and give some feedback tanya does too who's our host um and so we all jump into the script give feedback meanwhile i'm like okay i listened to this version i kind of know what the way it's shaping out to be so i create a toolkit Basically, that is a social media plan. You have your the graphic or the image that you want, the caption that's going to go with it, and then um, you know Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday, whatever your plan is. So I'm doing that. Once I draft it, I send it to um, our copy editor for grammar reasons and flow and all of that. And at the same time, I'm also writing an article. So we have a lot of people who like to. Read about the podcast first on our website, and then listen to it. And so, I kind of just give cliff notes ish of what the episode was about. And we always curate a list of uh, recommended listens, reading in terms of articles and also books um, that based on the topic of the of the episode. And then we have the transcript. So I am in charge of that, um, which is usually done if not a week before the episode, the latest I've done it is like the day before or so. Just because sometimes, you know, with all with everything that was changing with COVID and protests, we had to change our episode plan pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I do. In terms of live events, that also drastically changed. We had a few things lined up in the spring that we got pushed back. And right now we're working on mostly, honestly, IG lives are a lot more casual. We have... One that we might do on Zoom if we need more voices um, in terms of like the elections, talking about that, and that'll be closer to um, October. So right now it's kind of thinking, okay, brainstorming, we have weekly meetings and we always have, okay, here's a production update. This is the engagement update. And so um, I let folks know what I'm working on. We get feedback. And then throughout the week is kind of just double checking as we're progressing. And then I just turn in like proposals. I'm like, hey, can I get feedback on this? What do you guys think? Okay, we're good to go. So we're always in each other's work. I don't know how other teams are, but we always talk about that. Even with some graphics, if I'm having issues with just wording something or how it looks, I share it with the team and they give me feedback. So um, that's that's kind of I want to say all that I'm doing as of right now. Uh, we're talking about some new things to add for engagement, um, but that's that's it right now.
0: Okay. So so you're in charge of also making the graphics, right?
1: We have a design team for, for KQED. They make the tarot cards because we have a tarot card theme. Um, I but love I've been those. experimenting. <laughs> I know. I I can't make they're those great. for sure. Yeah, I know. They're great. <laughs> they do an amazing job. I just, there's other accounts that I love and I follow that I'm like, oh, I like how you did that. Let me try that for ours. So honestly, every episode, I just pick something different and then see how it does. Okay. Yeah. There's also um, some workshops from General Assembly. It's an online learning hub. They have a lot of workshops on coding, on analytics, and they did one on social media marketing. So that's the one where I honestly learned a ton. And um, everything's online now because of COVID. And there's a few on Friday that are free. So I flag those and I kind of go and I learn and then I implement it the next week. So
0: what's What's one of the either, I guess, events, virtual or non, that you have produced and planned, or if you want to speak to a particular like post or thing that you curated mm. for the online engagement that you've been most proud of, up to date? Hmm. Most proud of up to date. Or one of them. I know it can be hard.
1: <laughs> we had one live event. Um... Oh, it feels so long ago. Oh, when was it? April? And <laughs> who knows anymore? <laughs> I know. It was on Zoom and Facebook Live and we do did it in conjunction with the KQED events, like the whole station team. And that mm. one was just full of lessons. Um and I think we kind of use that always as a reference and thinking of what we really want to do so that felt you know zoom's pretty formal if you're trying to do a live event you can only make it interactive so much and everyone's doing their absolute best with that which is great but that was our first lesson also in um seeing what the platform can do seeing what we can do like making sure that the tone and the vibe of our show came through um and that one was actually on episode where I was the question asker. So it was like super personal for me. And I was like so nervous because you know I had a talk. I wasn't just behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, and so the person who answered my question, we call them wise ones. Uh, they, She was also on the show, on the Zoom with us. And she was taking like everybody's questions and not just about the episode um, topic, but also like about COVID, about children, about all of that, because she's a therapist and she's really great. So I think for that, our converse she never th- heard me say hey what would you think about the advice that i gave you because in most of our episodes which was the podcasting it's kind of hard to circle back and ask the people hey what would you think was it on point or were you like now nah, i'm not gonna take any of this advice with me mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so we're trying to do more of that making sure we follow up when we have a two-way conversation so i was the first experiment and i loved everything she told me i felt like i got free therapy i loved it and when we were interviewing okay. her I was like, okay, someone else take the reins because I'm just going to be crying my eyes out. And that's exactly what happened. (laughs) And so when I, when I saw her on Zoom, I was like, I loved everything that you said. And it's true. Like, like you knew things that I hadn't even said, how did you know? So like, for me, it was, it was a great feeling of like, I hope this is what listeners feel and I want to be able to give them that too. Um, Yeah. And I also want to make sure that, you know, there's not so many obstacles for Spanish speaking folks who don't even have laptops or Internet. How can they connect to these live events that we're doing? So it was it was great in seeing all of the possibilities. But then it really helped us identify what are the obstacles that still remain for our audience. So um, I think for that, it was just a huge marker and that I always reference that I'm really proud of. And I also felt super vulnerable in. So that's the one that sticks out
0: in my mind. Cool. Um, I'm sad I missed that one now. Is it like saved anywhere? Yeah, or? it stays
1: it stays on Facebook Live. Yeah, I should actually link them okay. on our website too, um, tying it to the episode because it's on since we don't have a Facebook, that's true. People are like, where do I get this?
0: So I'll I'll link it to our actual website actually. Cool, great. I'll definitely check it out. So kind of jumping off of that too, I I'm always curious for people um like myself who are very entrenched in the social media Mm -hmm. part of a job and it's like kind of you have to be on it even if you want to not be on it sometimes Um, so we've been talking about mental health and then now kind of talking about this part of your position so I wonder how do do you handle those things when they're together and you know, when you're needing break, but you can't really take a break. Yeah. Because you have to be on for work, that kind of stuff. Like, is there any anything that you have been able to implement that's worked for you, or are you still kind of like just in the trenches of figuring it out?
1: I feel I have been doing a better job. So for the first, I'd say like two, three weeks of June, I was depressed and didn't know it. I just felt I had really high anxiety, but my depression I think showed up all of those, you know, the anxiety, the depression all of that, like the stress is just showing up so differently during COVID and my body's reacting so different. So I didn't know I was depressed until I was kind of out of it. And I looked back and I'm like, Ooh, that wasn't good. And I knew why it wasn't good. Um, I think with the death of Ahmad Aubrey, that was kind of the first feelings that I realized, okay, this social media stuff, I really need to figure out how I'm going to do this because mm-hmm. Um, I know I've I've even listened to dialogues about like sharing videos and not sharing videos um, and all of that. And so I'm like this this for me is my last video. Um, But it was really hard after that to really just like if you're scrolling, you're going to see it. And at that point, um, I felt like I just had you just have to be reactive because the Internet feels like you're in it literally like a virtual reality. Um, and so for the following two, three weeks, I never really pulled myself out. I was just exhausted all the time. I just wanted to lay looking outside the window, like not looking at a screen or something. Um, but I wasn't doing anything to move my body to kind of distract myself to think about, um, or to even like feel productive about the stuff that I was consuming. It's like, okay, who are the helpers? What can I do? What are other people doing that I can support? I think I was just kind of paralyzed.
0: Um,
1: yeah. And so when I got out of it, I also realized that I was getting headaches like every other day. And that is also not good. Um, And I thought I was kind of getting vertigo because when I started looking at screens, I would have like nausea related. And Mm. so I called my doctor. They did like an on-screen appointment. They referred me to a therapist, um, a physical therapist that deals with vertigo. And I don't have it, but she basically asked me, tell me what you do all day run me through your entire Mm -hmm. day and so I told her everything and she's like yeah if you're not taking 20 minute breaks after looking at a screen that is one you need to like start doing that every 20 minutes look 20 uh I think it what's it for 20 seconds look away from what you've been looking at so just away Mm -hmm. from your screen that's a basic easy one um but I was not doing it at all and um Uh, I wasn't drinking a lot of coffee, but still caffeine is a thing. Um, I was watching Netflix before I went to bed. Like all of the things that we do that's just so regular to us was not helping my brain at all. And apparently they were anxiety-induced migraines. And I didn't know that you could have that. And so she says, if this doesn't get fixed necessarily, let me know in two weeks. And we might, you know, go to neurology. But I was like, man, these are just lifestyle changes. I can totally do this. And so I started limiting just my mornings to to social media, and then really disconnected for the rest of the day unless I had to go on. I would go on real quick, post it, or do what I need to do, and then come back out. Um, mm-hmm. And I just started forcing myself to to read more than what I already wanted to. Um, yeah. And I think that's also kind of what really informed my move here with my godson to his house because they limit his TV to one hour a day. And so I was like, OK, I, you guys are forced to be creative and do stuff. I will love to go and do that, too. And um, I also need to kind of a break from just the adults in my world and go to kind of a refreshing family with kids and all of that. So um, I think all of that has really allowed me to be like, OK, there's other parts to the world than the Internet. And what's happening is absolutely important. And we can still have those conversations it also allowed me to have those conversations and have also share my thoughts about what was happening with people, Mm -hmm. (laughs) with people I was around. Um, So I think since then it's been so much better. I don't get headaches anymore. Um, I've been sleeping better and yeah, it's just changing my lifestyle completely, but it's rough. I don't know. I don't know how other people do it. I feel like we should all just share tips, Um, but it's definitely like restraint and boundaries and, some people are like, you know what? I don't want to talk about work. Or I don't want to talk about what's happening on the internet. Let me have something different. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, no, I need to engage with it. And like, whatever it is that you feel you need to do to feel better. Yeah. I would say that's kind of the thing to do, even if it's journaling or something else. Um, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if there's right answers for, for this life.
0: No, but I think that, I think what you just said is the right answer It's like, let me know what all the options are and let me try the ones that I think work for me and see if they work and you know go through those like I know so much about anxiety but I didn't know that anxiety could literally be causing headaches so you've like opened a new thought to me now and I'm like "Hmm, maybe maybe that's where my headaches are coming from you know Um, instead of just dehydration or like these other things that we hope or think it is besides something that could be worse okay one more important PSA. Here's my challenge for you. Take a screenshot right now of this episode and share on social media with a tag to Poderland and the guest. I want to know that you're listening and I want to shout you out. Also, Are you signed up for Padreland's email list yet? Because as much as I love social media and connecting through there, I'm also preparing for its demise and I want to make sure that I stay in touch with you and we have control over our communication. Not only will you get important updates about this show, you'll get recommendations of other women-hosted podcasts, news related to podcasters you love, discounts on my cute-ass merch, and much more. Okay, let's get back into this interview. I I thought briefly of... Uh, I was speaking with a friend of mine um, kind of in the midst of June when everything was going on. And like the first thing she said to me when I, I picked up like we were Facetiming, and she was just like, I don't even want to talk about anything protest related. Like she was just like, I can't handle it right now. It's too much. And I'm like, great. Let's talk about anything else. Um, and it's just like setting those boundaries. I think um, it's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause sometimes I was also kind of, So my, my family gets a lot of their news from Spanish language uh, outlets Mm -hmm. and my friend was like, Hey, I saw this post by somebody that we should check in on our families because what they're saying isn't necessarily accurate or like all encompassing Mm -hmm. of what's happening. So I was like, all right, let me go get mentally ready for this conversation. So it's like, it's a lot of that as well, that your mind, you just have to really take care of your mind. Um, and cause that also is obviously, you know, going to impact your heart and how you feel and everything. So mm-hmm. I think the conversations are necessary, but you do have to be able to pour from a full cup of some sort, you know, just like keep it, keep, yeah. keep replenish yourself as much as you can, because, um, I hope this continues to like this whole movement, you know, doesn't remain a, a moment for sure. And so we can't burn ourselves out repeatedly yeah. and then expect to show up a hundred percent. So mm-hmm. we, we do have to figure that out. And I think people off of social media who don't do it for work, right. Right. They're also trying to figure out how to do this yeah. for us. We were just like, okay, how do I, this how do I manage not just work, but also like we have personal accounts, we're doing like, so it's like, oh, personal internet to work internet, but it's still kind of the same internet. Um,
0: Yeah. Well, and especially when like, I feel like I I don't want to make an assumption, but from what you've told me, and kind of how I feel like I'm identifying with what you're saying, I feel like we're both people who our personal very much does impact the way our work is being done. And so it's really hard to separate those two things. And I don't know if they really need to be separated, but there do need to be like boundaries to make it so that it's not always fully interlaced.
1: Well, I think the issue is because we can't show up as our full selves and to start to every single space in this world, mm-hmm. we have to negotiate a boundary. Yeah, that's, that's just that's just the reality of how our world is shaped right now.
0: And, you know,
1: I don't know about other economies or um, industries outside of the U.S., but that's kind of the sense I'm getting, because when I moved from academia to journalism, I was like, there's so many parallels here. I'm like, this is a whole new kind of job. I was yeah. like, okay, it's here, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. So kind of jumping off again of what you just said, um, there is a moment that you definitely brought a lot of the personal into truth be told work and i'd love to ask you about that episode with your father if you're down yeah cool that was such a such a wonderful episode to listen to and i learned a lot from kind of just your conversation with your dad but also with the wise one who was on that show and you know how she talked i can't remember her name right now maybe do you remember adriana Thank you. Um, But her kind of talking through like the anger as an emotion, like a valid emotion, like that whole section was really good for me to hear in how I move in the world and understand people. Um, But I I guess I'm primarily interested to hear your thoughts on two things. First, kind of, you know, since that episode has come out, how has that continued to impact your relationship with your dad? Because I think it's such a awesome and bold way to talk about family issues. And I also think that it's it gives more opportunity for people to be more honest sometimes. I don't know if you felt like that, but that's what I feel like I've observed and experienced when I put my mom on the mic or, you know, like someone in my family, they're like, oh, I don't know. And then they're like, oh, here's everything I want to say. Um, And then second part to that question is, I'm curious how that was to be, on like on the show on the recording side of like guest you know and then being on the production side and how were you able to kind of navigate that? Yeah, it's
1: a good question. Um, so, so the episode was me asking um the question of how do how do you heal after a family member has been deported? And my dad, uh, we're coming up on ten years of him having been deported. Um, and it just felt like everybody was surviving, living, Mm -hmm. moving forward with like hope that maybe in our justice system, if a court case comes up, we're able to have him come back. Um, and that's kind of where I noticed other people's stories did as well. Um, it was very much on the weight of a court case and that was kind of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in asking that question, I just felt like, is it even possible to heal? Is this just like a lifelong trauma that is going to be our reality? And so um, the, uh, the wise one, she's actually the co-founder of Latinx Therapy on Instagram, has so many good gems. And um, Adriana came on and just validated, you know, and went in on how it also shows up in the community, not just in the family and how um, I was the first person to kind of also ask this in my family that I didn't really know where to start. Mm-hmm. And um, I had, I decided to do just a conversation with my dad because we never, you know, talked about the non um, legal side of his deportation. So like he's, he does share like, Oh, you know, it's, you know, I am bored. He's, he lives by himself. Um, and it's kind of like his, he doesn't really expound on his day to day. And so this conversation was the first time that I asked him, like, you know, how was it f- for you and how do you see your future? Like, what are you, what's the the emotional side to all of this that you've been living for so long? And yeah, he, the things that he said, I, I was not expecting. He basically settled so that, you know, he doesn't see a future for himself. He just, he's dark. Yeah. And I'm over here imagining like, oh, we're going to have, you know, without thinking about COVID, I was like, we're going to be traveling back and forth so that, you know, I'm going to have two weddings in mm-hmm. Mexico and here, and you're going to see your grandkids and like, you're definitely going to be a part of, like, if this doesn't get figured out by the courts, we're going to make this work. And there is a life, you know, yeah. and he just didn't see beyond that. Um, and he also said like, it's like not to diss that these are things that are going to happen to you. And I would love to be a part of it. It's like, I just can't see that.
0: Right.
1: Um, and so prepping for the interview was really nerve wracking because I was like, am I ready to hear this? Um, and I didn't even think about working on the episode after. Like I was like, I'll get there when I get there. And my team was really great too. They were like, if you want to be hands off, let mm-hmm. us know and we can take that on. And I was like, no, this is, this is too precious for me. I'm I'm going to do it. And, but I would bawl my eyes out every single time I would edit it every mm-hmm. single time. I and mean, it felt like cathartic. Like, it's just like, I, I didn't know I had all of that still in me that I need mm-hmm. to get out. Um, so he didn't, my dad didn't listen to the episode. I asked him if he wanted to, and he said, no, that he trusts me. Um, also with that, I, I shared it with an attorney to make sure that legally everything was okay. with What he said that wouldn't oh, Im- okay. impact a future court case. Um, so with that, he was like, no, I trust you. Uh, and I was like, okay, that wasn't my question, but I'm, I'm getting what you're putting down. Like, okay, God, right. You don't want to listen to it. No problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, I don't know. It's still me and him have had so much of a better relationship. And so it's still on that path. It mm-hmm. hasn't like, nothing has happened since that episode that has made it worse or also kind of like, like nothing I, I can't point to be like oh now we're x y and z it's like no we're still we're still good um and I'm kind of okay with that like I'm pretty happy like it was it, I realized it was more for me than mm-hmm. anything um but I hope he felt he was also able to say some of those things for the first time
0: yeah
1: out loud um but yeah I think a lot of people also have other folks work on uh something so personal so that they can be a little bit removed from it mm-hmm. um I really leaned on my team to check me if, if I needed that for sure. Mm -hmm. And I trusted them and I, but because I still wanted to be a part of the editing process.
0: Right. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing about that. And it definitely seems like it was cathartic just based on like the way that you talk about it. So it's, it's cool to see. Um, Okay, well, we'll shift gears to a little more lighthearted for our final three quick rapid-fire questions. Um, so first one is, I know you, you touched a little bit on mentorship, but we didn't name any names. And so a question I like to ask is either... Um, Who's like a podcast mentor or a couple that come to mind or someone in the industry that you like emulate and just kind of love and look toward when you're doing your work?
1: Um, so I call one of my mentors my guardian angel of like journalism because he's the first person that I met and it was through the um, NPR Next Gen program. He actually like runs it and it's Doug Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he also a sweet spot in my heart because he met my mom and my grandma Ma at the end of our one week boot camp because they were there for my graduation. So he's like, you know, invite family and friends to listen to your story. And so he met them, and they ask about him, and I'm like, oh, you know, you know, they say hi. (laughs) So I think because of that connection, the family part, and it was such um, a pivotal point in changing my career and where I'm at. um, I always think of him, and he's always someone who I go to for any question when shit's hitting the fan or when I have no idea where to go in life, mm-hmm. he's a person I think about. And so I think, so I call him, I don't know if he knows that I call him my guardian angel. <laughs> um, but I, I, that's who he is for me. I think, uh, the other person who to emulate, I would say Shereen Marisol Miraji from code switch, because I also yeah. worked with her at NPR West, um, her and Anjali Sastri who's the associate producer of NPR, it's been a minute. Mm -hmm. they both kind of just took me under their wings Mm -hmm. and they have such a great working relationship as well that I was like, I love seeing this and this is possible. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's kind of like my host goals. Mm -hmm. And then Anjali is like my producer.
0: Cool. I love that. Um, okay. Next question is what are a couple podcasts that you're listening to and loving right now? if any. I know, honestly, if any. I <laughs> I love seeing people's faces when I ask this question because they're like, fuck, like <laughs> I, I work on podcasts and I like don't really listen to them. But some people do. But I guess when you're listening, what are the yeah. ones that you gravitate towards? I'm trying to think
1: what's on my feed right now. Oh, I mean, shoot. I only listen. Maybe I catch up on all of my podcasts like once every two weeks, which is like not great. So
0: it's, it's okay. It's your, it's your listening process. right?
1: <laughs> but I would say that it's been a minute with Sam Sanders, um, hmm. because he has the weekly roundup. So if I miss anything in the news, I catch up on it and I hear how they talk about it in a lighthearted way. Yeah. Um, that is one that I always go to. Um, I also like, uh, post reports, from the Washington Post, the way they do news, yeah. I really love it. So those are probably my two consistent, and then I do the usual up first in the mornings quick. I know what's happening. Um, because you know, I like, you know, have to support my host, uh, Tanya <laughs> Mosley's on Here and Now. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: my morning uh, news cocktail is up first <laughs> and here and now. And then for fun, I do it's been a minute, and then the post reports, I think is a little fun, a little newsy. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I do. But, oh, man, there's so many good ones out there. I really yeah. should. And, yeah. you know, props to everybody who is doing it. And, you know, we're all doing our best to listen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. But it, it, it's like when when that's your like day to day, you can only handle so much. Yeah. So I totally get it. Um, but I, I love hearing with them because I've heard of uh, not heard of, but like I know it's been a minute in here now. Um, but the other two I'm not as familiar with. So now I can go check them out. Um. Okay. Final question is: Where can our listeners find you and support what you're doing?
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I am on Twitter, Isabeth Galo, but you you can go to Truth Be Told, and then Mm -hmm. I'll be there too. Like I since I handle that. Um, it's Truth Be Told KQED. We're on Instagram and on Twitter. My Instagram is more for like personal fam and stuff. So like Twitter is usually where I'm. You know, Mm -hmm. more engaging with public non non first yeah first circle people
0: yeah
1: um yeah so that's where i'm at and i don't have any other projects going on right now i think like i'm kind of hands into truth be told but if anything else comes up that's i'll put it on my twitter yeah cool. and with the live tweets of conferences and all of that wealth of knowledge that's where i'll put it
0: okay yeah and i'll put all that in the show notes too so we'll be set there um right. well that about wraps it up thank you so much for joining yeah thank you so much for having me yeah you're welcome Our original music is produced by Carrie Blue, and everything else is produced by me, myself, and I, Miss Alexandra Cole. And you can follow me on Instagram at Podriland, p o d d r a l a n d or Twitter at Podriland minus the period. And you can find more of what I do on Podriland at www.podriland.com, where I recommend women hosted podcasts and feature indie women podcasters. So I hope to see you there. Feel free to subscribe to the newsletter. You'll get recommendations and updates about this podcast. And finally, make sure to share this episode, tag us in it, like that shit, give us a review. Anything you do helps not just this podcast get more exposure, but also helps these women's voices be heard by way more people. And ultimately, that's our goal. So let's fucking do it.